0: Baseball cards! I don't love baseball cards! Got him, got him, need 'em, got him, got 'em, got him, need 'em, got him, need 'em, need 'em, got 'em, beat him, got 'em, got 'em, need 'em. <laughs> oh, the football! He goes to the 25-yard line, the 50-yard line, the 40-yard line! Stevenson, go for the long bomb! Whoa.
1: A boy, frustrated by his life at home and at school, discovers a magical world of monsters under his bed special guest Samantha Noah joins us to discuss a monster bar mitzvah, what exactly constitutes cheating in pinball, and how to put baseball cards on a wall. Then we find out if 1989's Little Monsters stands the test of time.
2: It's the test James and Allen have their say, Do the movies you love
0: still hold up today? James says Gladiator with the blood Allen says as a father, blah blah. It's the
2: test of time. James and Allen have to say, Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time. James and Allen have to say, Do the movies you love still hold up today?
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. I'm James Brief, and joining me as always, whenever we have to talk about Little Monsters movies, is my buddy, my podcast partner,
0: Alan Michael Noah. Well, thank you, but this is the first time we've ever talked about Little Monsters, and we have a very special guest, my sister, Samantha Noah. Hi,
2: Al. Hi, James. Hi, everybody.
0: Welcome back to the show, Sam.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I love this.
0: Well, thank you for being here. It's a very special episode because because you're here, one, uh, because it's also right around your 40th birthday. Oh, sorry. Shh. I'm a lady. Sorry. Does that mean i'm not supposed to tell everyone that you're 40 years old
2: stop saying it
0: oh okay i just figured because you were born in 1981 and now it's 2021 and it's 40 years later all right fine we'll stop talking about it but i actually think that little monsters was the first movie you mentioned to come on the podcast for and then we decided to do harold and Go to white castle and then it was like the anniversary of goodfellas in my blue heaven But I'm pretty sure Little Monsters was the first movie you floated however many years ago.
2: And I have no idea why. I just feel (laughs) like that was one of those movies that we always watched together. You had already done The Wiz. The Wizard. The Wizard. Yeah, The Wiz was trash. So we needed to piggyback on a Fred Savage movie. And I figured that it was time we got to Little Monsters.
0: Fred Savage was not a huge movie star. From like this era, it was The Princess Bride, The Wizard, this movie... And was that it? I associate him with The Wonder Years. Of course. And now he has a very successful career as a director. But, you know, like from 80s and 90s, I don't think he was in a ton of movies. I think he was pretty
2: much known as Kevin Arnold for most of his career. For... Kids who grew up in the eighties definitely The Wizard, definitely Little Monsters, and for sure Princess Bride.
0: Yes. Oh, also, I've just pulled up his IMDb. Vice Versa, which was a body swap movie with Judge Reinhold. Yes. If I remember correctly, that was
1: a year that they had like three of those films yep. together. There like was Father, like, 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 Father, Son. like Father Like Son, Eighteen Again, uh, and this one. Vice Versa, Vice Versa, or Vice Versa?
0: This is just Vice Versa. Oh, okay. I think Is it th- ever called vice versa? I think some people say vice versa, but it's really vice versa. Okay, so
1: this isn't like a James mispronouncing something wrong. No. It's a
0: lot of people mispronounce it. I think it's a James and many other people mispronouncing it. Got kind it. of kind of a thing. Um, we were talking before we started recording. We are pretty sure that we did not see this in the movie theater. I don't think so. But we saw it many times as kids. James, had you seen this movie as a kid? I did. I
1: saw this once. And I believe I saw it once and only once. And I don't think you saw it in the theaters because really nobody saw this in the theaters. There was some rights problems. I think something about like the studio went out of business before it was released. There was a big fire I read on IMDb that delayed filming for a couple of years I distinctly remember that this film was heavily advertised as one of these, buy it on VHS, and I'd never heard of the film. So it was one of those films that uh, I think they just released on VHS and had
0: a big marketing push. Interesting. Well, the movie, for anyone who doesn't remember, is about a family who moved to a new town, and when young Eric becomes scared of monsters under his bed, he switches rooms with his older brother Brian. That's Fred Savage. Brian discovers that monsters are real when he captures and befriends a mischievous monster named Maurice. Mischievous monster named Maurice. Um, Maurice shows Brian his monster world, which is a kid's paradise with junk food, video games, and no parents or rules. That sounds like my house. It basically sounds like your house. Will Brian embrace the monster life, as you have, James, even if it means he can't be a real kid anymore? You can be a real
1: kid. You can be a a 40-something-year-old kid, have your own apartment with toys, video
0: games, and no bedtime.
2: High five.
0: I mean. Here's to that. (laughs) And snacks. uh, And you guys don't even have horns. We don't even have horns. And you don't melt in bright light like the monsters in this movie. Okay, so this movie wasn't a hit. It had a tiny budget. It was pretty much just on video. It sort of has like a pretty low budget feel kind of throughout the movie.
1: Um, I mean, low budget or is it like 80s? I feel like the special effects in here, I don't think are really low budget effects. I think they're just like 80s effects.
2: I agree with that. I think that they're very 80s and the music is very 80s. I would think they'd have to have some kind of budget for all of the monsters and the makeup.
0: Yeah, I guess. I don't know that I agree with very 80s because this movie came out in 1989. Back to the Future came out in 1985 and that had better effects. You're
1: talking the greatest, highest budget picture of
0: all time. Yes, Indiana Jones'
1: Last Crusade comes out this year. We're in this gray area between the dawn of good CGI. This done is not CGI. These are all just kind of like little animated magic wand sparkles and stuff. It's all very like, almost I'd say like TV special effects. Like something you'd see on like... Like, Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, because it's low budget.
2: It doesn't translate as low budget as it is, I guess.
1: And, you know, the the film is directed by a gentleman named Richard Greenberg, who actually has a really big career as a special effects visual uh, supervisor guy. He's worked on a lot of big films. But this is one of the only films he's ever directed. And the opening shot, interestingly, it starts with uh, the moving van. And there's these two boys who you can tell are not very happy being uh, in the new town. Moving vans, moving stuff in. But the opening shot is in black
0: and white. It- it's very weird. And then just quickly morphs into color. I interpreted that as a profound statement on the brothers' sadness of moving to a new town and their uh forlorn i don't know Yeah, i'm just i kind of
2: got that too though i mean <laughs> it's taking itself more seriously than it needs to for what the movie is but yeah they're all sad and it's all poignant and black and white and oh my god we're a family in this new town and then all of a sudden it's colorful and that's when the movie starts
0: right and the two brothers in this movie brian and eric are real life brothers it's not just fred savage who's the star his little brother is ben savage Primarily known to people, I assume, uh, not from this movie, but uh, from his role on Boy Meets World. Right, and uh, Girl Meets World. Is he in that?
1: I think it's over, but I think that was like a Disney Channel remake. I never saw it. But. Oh, okay. Question
2: for you, though, Al. There's a voiceover in this movie in the beginning of it. How do you feel about that? Well,
0: I feel the way about it the way I (laughs) always feel about voiceover, which is that it's stupid and unnecessary. It's also kind of funny that the voiceover in this movie is Fred Savage's character and it's Fred Savage doing the voiceover. When I think of Fred Savage and voiceover, I think of The Wonder Years and the voiceover is done by Daniel Stern, who Fred Savage is on screen with in this movie. The voiceover on The Wonder Years, by the way, is okay, because it's sort of like looking back. the whole show. Right. It's like, it's <laughs> kind of necessary. That's like the framework that that show is built around. In this movie, it's just like in the very beginning, and it just sets the stage that he's sad that he moved to a new town, and he's going to make a friend, and it's completely unnecessary.
2: Fun story real quick. If you ever want to entertain yourself, you can YouTube... Wonder Years, no voiceover. And it's pretty much just two people staring at each other for like five minutes. It is. It's, it, there's one scene of him with a mother and they're just kind of looking at each other because the whole show is a voiceover. Interesting. So, yeah, if you ever need to kill a couple minutes, YouTube that.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the voiceover actually, to me, was a little bit depressing because this movie takes place, what would you say, over the course of a week maybe? Maybe like two or three nights? Sure. Something like that. And the voiceover is by Fred Savage, not like an adult Fred Savage that's reminiscing, and he says he meets a friend named Maurice, who we're gonna meet in this film, and he would never again have a friend like Maurice. And it's implied, (laughs) we'll get to this later, that perhaps they never meet again, and... I interpreted this as, wow, that's so depressing. This yep. guy like peaked at like 10 years old. <laughs>
2: <laughs> never had a good friend after a monster. It is a little weird. Who
0: he knew for like two days. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if he says, if he says that he'll never have another friend like Maurice, that doesn't mean he'll never have a better friend than Maurice or he'll never have a good friend like Maurice. He just means he'll never have a friend who's also a monster.
1: Fair point. Fair point. I'll never have a friend like you again, Al. Who's named Alan Michael Noah that I did pledging with and went to college with. I'll never have a friend like you ever again. Oh!
2: I'll never have a brother like you again. Oh! This is such a sweet little uh, segue really, into
0: what I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know, but it is really sweet. Um, and like there's all of these things that are happening around the house that Brian is getting blamed for the dad Daniel Stern's character backs over the bike and he blames Brian and there's ice cream in the pantry that's melted and falls down and gets all over his shirt and he blames Brian and Brian is saying it wasn't me dad I didn't do it and As a father, I kind of related to the dad a little bit. And, I mean, I'm sure when I first watched the movie, I related to Brian. But I'm like, no, sometimes stuff happens and you ask the kids if they did it. And the kids are like, I didn't do it. you're like, yeah, but one of you definitely did. And I like
1: when uh, Brian is like, okay, okay, dad. That other stuff I said I didn't do, I, I did. Okay, out. But I really didn't do this. And he gets like majorly punished. And that dad gives out groundings really easily. He's and like Stern. Yeah, Daniel Stern. Uh, <laughs> two weeks of grounding for putting ice cream in the cabinet.
2: I feel like the mom is the good cop to Daniel Stern's kind of like bad cop. But the mom, I don't know. To me, she was kind of like... The William Zabka-ish, not that she had the bully role, but she definitely had like an 80s mark. She was Rachel Phelps in Major League, which was a big deal. She was Auntie yes. vera in Secret of My Success. She was in a bunch of stuff. I think she was probably the nicest in this one because she was a biatch in uh, Major League. Right. Um but yeah, she was pretty good in this and she's kind of the one to calm everybody down because I personally think the father is just way too much.
0: Yeah, he's, he's definitely on edge, but also like his marriage is imploding. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later on. But yes, I mean, he is, he's very harsh on the kids. And Brian isn't making friends at school. Uh, he gets into a fight with this kid, Ronnie, who's a big bully. And uh, Did you
1: recognize who Ronnie was, by the way?
0: I knew that he looked familiar. He's Buzz! He's Buzz. I saw it on IMDb. Right away, I didn't get it. But yeah, he's Buzz from uh, Home Alone and Home Alone 2, colon, Lost in New York.
2: With Daniel Stern. So there's a lot of Six Degrees because you have the whole Daniel Stern and Fred Savage thing. And then you have Buzz, who's in Home Alone with Daniel Stern, who, of course, is one of the uh, wet bandits. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see him.
0: And the Sticky Bandit.
2: And this, oh, that's right. In Home Alone 2. That's true.
1: And uh, Kirsten, she is, I guess, the the brainy, uh, good student. And we meet her in class. And she's working on her science experiment. And I thought it was cool that she was using, very 80s that she was using it, a Polaroid camera. But all I kept thinking is, wow, that is so expensive, what she's doing. Because Polaroid <laughs> film, they, they brought it back and it's
0: like... 20 bucks for like six or seven pictures oh wow. i did notice that brian grabs her camera and takes a selfie he like, does
2: take a selfie
0: and that's like before anyone used the word selfie but like he grabs the polaroid camera aims it at himself and then takes a picture and then later like she has that picture on her nightstand and that's how he knows that she likes him but like yeah that's a that's a selfie before selfies were a thing 1989 that's a big deal yeah, yeah. he's cutting edge <laughs>
1: But the little brother, uh, Ben Savage, he starts screaming one night. He's scared that there's monsters under the bed. You know, your typical little, your parents come in, there's nothing there. So the next day, Brian's kind of teasing his little brother and and his little brother's friend. Like, oh, you guys are scared of monsters. The friend's Toad. He's
2: so cute. I'm sorry, but that kid Toad is just such a cute kid. His name is Todd, and
0: they call him Toad?
2: Yeah, it's a nickname. Okay. Because they're like seven, eight years old. But what's interesting, actually, is that Eric made a friend so quickly...
0: Yeah, that's true. Right. They both just moved there and
2: Brian's having a real problem and Eric has Toad.
0: That's true. That's a good point. That's and, why I'm here.
1: And Eric and uh, Todd, Toad, they're saying, well, Brian, if you don't think there's any monsters, why don't you switch rooms with us?
0: And the first night in the room, Brian does see something weird. He's kind of convinced that there might be a monster. So the second night, he makes a trap. Because Brian is one of those kids who's a genius who knows how to invent things.
2: I have to laugh because when I was watching this or re-watching this, I should say, I was thinking about all these kids who were just geniuses in 80s movies and absolutely sadistic. You have the kid, I forgot his name, from Problem Child.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, Junior.
2: Right. His name was Junior. You have him, uh, you have Data from the Goonies, Mm who is brilliant and able to trap everybody. Brian in this movie is able to, you know, take the gears off of his bike, which was destroyed anyway. And he's coming up with all these lever and pulley systems. So not only are these kids really, really smart, but they have some really kind of crazy, nasty ideas, too.
0: Like if you can make these intricate Rube Goldberg-like machines, what will you use them for Torturing people?
2: Right. But the joke with Brian is that he's having a real problem with his science project. Meanwhile, he's smart enough to figure out all these traps and like, he's pretty
0: smart, but he cannot do a science project. So it doesn't really make a whole heap of sense. I think Kirsten even says that. She's like, you're so smart. How come you're failing your science project? Yeah. And I think the real reason is that he's just not applying himself.
2: Oh, because you're a father. Is yes. that why you would say? Okay. Yes,
0: absolutely. As a father, I would say he needs to apply himself more. <laughs> but he does apply himself to the trap making,
1: which is successful. There's this monster that comes out the next night when he's in Eric's room, and the monster comes out from underneath the bed. I thought it was going to be one of these things where, you know, you step in the circle of rope, and it pulls you, and you kind of get lassoed by your ankle, but he actually did something where he sawed off all the legs of his bed, so that the moment the monster emerged from underneath the bed, he basically had the bed collapse to the floor, so the legs
0: were gone, and this monster would not be able to escape. right. And the monster is played by Howie Mandel. Ugh. Why the ugh? I think everybody
2: at this table knows why the ugh.
0: Because he also voiced Gizmo. Yeah. In Gremlins and Correct. Gremlins 2, colon, the new badge. <laughs> why is that an ugh?
2: Well, I have been a very uh, avid listener, and I know you guys did Gremlins years ago, and I know that it was maybe perhaps mentioned that. It's just a trauma I haven't gotten past. I kind of think they exist somewhere. I think gremlins are kind of real. So the fact that there's a correlation with Howie Mandel, I'm not really into it. Mm. Maybe he should go wash his hands or something, right? Isn't he like super OCD?
0: I believe that that's true. Now that you're about to turn 40, you mentioned it before. You told me to mention it more often. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Do you think that now you'll stop believing in gremlins or stop being afraid of gremlins as a 40 year old woman whatever i don't know that i would say i'm afraid of them as much as you
2: enabled the long-standing fear so you did this but it's fine i do have a question though about maurice yes what's with the leather vest?
0: that's a very good question because he says that he's 11 years old but that he's been a monster for 200 years. It's implied slash stated later in the movie that the monsters are kids who were trapped in this monster world. So I guess we can assume that 200 years ago, Maurice was an 11-year-old and he's just been frozen as an 11-year-old for all this time. But at what point did he pick up the leather jacket? Why would he have picked up the leather jacket? I'm guessing
2: he joined a biker gang. Maybe he's he was uh, Sam Crow from Sons of Anarchy. I'm not sure, but he is walking around in a leather vest.
1: And they're in Boston, though,
0: so it, it is kind of cold.
2: Okay, it's chilly.
0: Um, just one other thing, going back to Gremlins, and then I will let it go. In this movie, Maurice and all of the monsters, they like melt into clothes if you shine bright light on them.
2: I noticed that.
0: And, you know, the Gremlins, you can't shine bright light on them either. So I don't know what that means, but just Howie Mandel... Voices, characters that don't like Bright Light, I guess.
2: I was just going to say, I was thinking of more sadistic children, and I completely forgot. Um, Three Ninjas. Those kids were the worst.
0: Well, did they have, like, inventions and traps and
2: stuff? They, they had traps. Three Ninjas and Home Alone. It was all, like, sadistic traps and stuff. So yeah. I just had to throw that in there because I couldn't let it go.
0: Interesting. Yeah, we haven't
1: so. reviewed Three Ninjas, have we? No. Rocky oh, loves man. Emily. That is going to be a fun film to review. <laughs> it's a fun movie. Sure. Um, For those people who only know Howie Mandel from uh, America's Got Talent and uh, Deal or No Deal, Howie Mandel in the 80s was a very energetic, sort of almost like a sort of Robin Williams-esque in the 80s. That he was, hey, hey, over here, over here. Very like, the the guy had a little too much coffee, but that was his shtick. And Maurice is just throwing out a million jokes at at a time. And I wonder how many of these are ad-libbed, but... It makes sense that he's Maurice is a kid because he basically picks uh, Brian's nose and he eats it and he goes, hmm, I thought it was something good, but it's not. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> There's another great um, 1989 reference in there because that's when oh, we've talked about this, that Dick Tracy was starting to become big. I remember this uh, th- this phrase that people used to say that I have not heard in 25 years. I don't remember what Brian said. Brian said something and Maurice's reply is, uh, duh, where'd you park the squad car, Dick Tracy? Do you remember when people used to say that? No. I think Dad still says that. Really? I think so. That's so weird. Yeah. It was <laughs> a thing. So when he says it here, I was like, wow, that just completely disappeared. The squad car or the expression? The, the expression. Oh, okay. Another great 80s uh, The line he throws in. He's talking about the monster world and he says, It's 100% where's the beef anarchy? Mm-hmm. And for those who don't remember it, I don't even remember this commercial. I remember the phrase, but it was only in like the late nineties that I saw the uh, the commercial. But there was was it Wendy's? Yeah, yeah, it was Wendy's. Wendy's, I think, was probably making fun of the fact that McDonald's hamburgers are very small in terms of the the amount of beef. So there'd be a
0: guy that would just go, "Where's the beef?" It was no. an old lady. Right? It was an old oh, lady. It was an yeah. old lady. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And that was the thing. It was this adorable little old lady. She opens the bun and says.
1: Where's the beef?
0: <laughs> he says to Brian, hey, let me show
1: you around. And he spins him around a few times and he goes, now, let me show you straight. I actually giggled at that one. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I think I did too. I, <laughs> Howie, Mandel, Howie Mandel is charming. I I, I like him. I, I think he's uh, fun. I feel like I knew him in the 80s and then he just popped up on Deal or No Deal. I mean, he was on a cartoon in the 90s. Bobby's I World. Bobby's World. Right. But then I didn't hear from him for like... 20 years. I think he was just a stand-up comic on the road for a couple years. There was decades.
2: another 80s movie that was horrible. It was called Walk, Walk like, like a Man. A man. Yeah. And he was a, like a dog or something. It didn't make a lot of sense, but he had a really like jerry curl mullet. So that I remember, but I don't remember too much of the movie.
0: Yeah, it was like he was raised by wolves, but then <laughs> he was like set to inherit a million dollars or something. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right, James. I feel like he kind of disappeared from the acting world for a long time and then just showed up as, like, a TV show host. But, uh, I mean, I guess good for him. He's still got a career. He's still doing stuff. Um, But, you know, he shows Brian this monster world, and it really is, like, this utopia where the monsters can do whatever they want. There's, like, an arcade, and Maurice starts tilting the pinball machine, and Brian's like, no, you're not supposed to tilt the pinball machine. And Maurice is like... (gasps) no you can tilt the pinball machine and then brian's all excited and i didn't play that much pinball but like is that really a big deal yes it's
1: actually a very big deal so pinball as uh, People know, of course, it's an analog machine where there's just a metal ball bearing rolling down the pinball. And if you saw it going straight down, like you're not going to be able to hit the flippers, if you banged the right side of the machine, you could knock the ball off of its trajectory and and help it. If you knock it too hard, though, the machine has built-in sensors that would say you've tilted it. Like, basically, you can lift up the machine and never let it fall down into the flippers. So it's
2: like cheating then, basically. Well, it's, <laughs> it, it's
1: a, is it cheating? I don't know, because there is a degree that they allow you where the tilt will be registered. So theoretically,
0: isn't under that amount legal? I well, think it's cheating. It sounds <laughs> like cheating to me, too. To me, it, it just seemed like not the coolest thing there. Like, the cool thing is that you're in an arcade with unlimited video games and you can do whatever you want not that you could tilt the pinball machine but there is also like this room with as much junk food as you want and you can eat whatever you want and there's no parents and there's no teachers and there's no adults telling you no 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 you can't do it and it strikes me that this movie does sort of have some common dna with another movie with monsters in the title monsters inc Because in that movie, there's a separate monster world, and the monsters travel to the human world and scare kids and collect their screams. The only thing is, is that in this movie, the monsters travel to the human world and, like, play pranks on kids. Get them in trouble. Get them in trouble, but there's not really, like, a reason for it. Yeah, it's just what they do. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, why, though? I would be surprised if the
1: people that uh, wrote and created Monsters, Inc. had never seen this film. Just because there's a lot of little similarities. that I know so, too. Yeah. yeah, you could watch this film and almost go, why are the monsters doing this? I can write a film where it's a similar premise, but there's a reason they're scaring them. Yeah, in this movie, they come
0: from under the bed. In Monsters, Inc.,
1: they go through the closet door. And there's a big chase at the end, they're running around. I feel like the structure of the film is similar, but should the producers of Monsters, Inc. be sued by the producers of Little Monsters, there's probably enough differences.
2: Probably. I mean, it's just kind of like the basic storyline is, okay, we're going to take these innocent kids and we're going to have monsters scare the crap
1: out of them. Right. Yeah, I don't think there's anything stolen. I mean, the idea of monsters under the bed, and how about if those monsters were real? Yeah. But I do like the pranks they do. They're all innocent pranks. They go in, they put peanut butter on the phone receiver. They put uh, the saran wrap on the toilet bowl. And, you know, these are all little like 11-year-old kid pranks.
0: Yeah, the, the peanut butter on the telephone receiver struck me as one that doesn't stand the test of time. Well, I allergies. Guess, well, uh, <laughs> because of allergies, yeah, but also just because, you know, phone receivers. Oh, duh. Um, (laughs) I, I mean, I like the way you went with it too. Um, also they like, they scratch a record. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't really stand the test of time. But you don't mess
2: with the vinyl man.
0: I mean, seriously. (laughs) Although actually now, I mean, vinyl is still, uh, in vogue and you know, it's a, it's a collector's item now. Which is why you wouldn't want to scratch it. That's true. Duh, Dick Tracy. Uh huh. (laughs) And then, uh, Brian, he actually, he started to
1: really get into this. He's having fun. And then he asked to make a special request. He wants to know, can I go to anyone's house in the world here? And then Maurice is like, yeah. So they decide to go to the bully's house, uh, the guy who plays Buzz. And Maurice goes into the refrigerator and they find his lunch for the next day. It's a tuna fish sandwich and apple juice. But that's not what the bully's going to eat the next day. (laughs) So
2: Maurice goes ahead and uh, kind of whips it out and pees in the bottle of apple juice. And when he's done, and this also got a chuckle from me, he said, Oh, he said he's going to be pissed.
1: <laughs> and it was a little gross, but I would think that uh, Maurice is going to turn around. There's going to be sort of an apple juice like bottle there, but it really looks like piss. I there's mean, it's foam. like, yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of foam in it. It's like, wow, that is. Uh, They went there and the next day we go to school and Brian watches uh, with glee as the bully eats the uh, cat food uh, tuna fish sandwich which is gross and then he drinks the so called apple juice which he immediately spits out and you remember Al when we first decided to review this film when you said we're watching Little Monsters remember what I replied to you right away.
0: Yeah, you said, Who pissed in my apple juice? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's the only line of this film that I remembered. Except as I watched <laughs> it, I feel like I kind of remembered a little more. But uh, I was very happy when that bully got his come up. That, that's a very 80s thing.
2: Well, and it's kind of cute because it's lunchtime and you see Brian sitting there with Kirsten and like their heads are on each other's shoulders and they're just kind of watching Ronnie, who's Buzz the Bully, drink his piss and eat the cat food. And they're all actually getting so much pleasure out of seeing. The retribution on, at the bully because everybody, I guess, gets picked on by him.
0: Right. There's another scene back in Monster World where uh, Maurice explains this game that they play. It's called Monster Ball, which is basically just baseball, except there's a lot of like furniture and glass and things that can be broken. And like the goal is to break this stuff. And when he explains the rules of Monster Ball, I kind of did a double take. Because what Maurice says is, we get the shit, we smash the shit, then we put the shit back. So, for those keeping score, that's three shits in a row <laughs> in what is ostensibly a kids' movie. And it's not necessary, like at all. Like, he could have said, you know, we take the stuff. Like, he didn't have to say shit. And it's not the first kind of risque joke. I mean, pissing in the apple juice, that's a little risque. Also, the first time Maurice brings Brian to the monster world, he introduces him to like this other monster who's a girl monster, and she looks at Brian and says, nice ass and um, which it's- might be even weirder because
1: that might be Fred Savage's sister because Fred Savage's sister Kayla Savage is one of the
0: girl little monsters I don't think it's that one though. not that one okay good I'm I'm hoping not I'm just going to assume that it's not you know what I'm declaring that it's not
1: do you tell your sister she has a
2: nice ass
1: <laughs> no uh, Al have you ever told your sister she has a nice ass no oh, Um, it's really
0: rude <laughs> sorry um, but like but like who is this movie for is it Hi. for 10-year-olds, maybe, like, 13-year-olds who know the word shit and it's okay. They say it a lot in this movie. It's PG. It's not PG-13. Back then, you could throw a couple curses in there. It's not like there's, you know,
1: violent gore or nudity. It's, uh, although, it, yeah, you can actually have some nudity in 80s films, too, and not be rated R. So I think the MPAA was just quite different back then.
0: That's true. Uh, But not only is there this bully at the school— Uh, who drank the piss and ate the cat food, there's a monster bully. His name is Snick. And he works for someone named Boy. Not
1: Boyd. We're talking B-O-Y as in boys and girls. It's a really weird
0: name for a character.
2: See, that doesn't stand the test of time because if it was now, Boy would be they. Mm. Maybe. Maybe not. Could be they.
0: Maybe Boy would identify as Boy. Maybe. But it's just weird because this concept of a bad monster is introduced like halfway through, maybe more. And it's just like, wait, who is this mean monster? And like in that scene, you don't really know what's happening. He goes over to another monster and rips his head off. And I was just like, wait, what the hell is happening? Because before that, all the monsters are like, Mischievous and like silly and they play mean jokes, but they're nice. And now this one's like a psychopath and he works for boy and we don't know who boy is. It's not explained at all. It was just like kind of confusing.
1: I agree with you 100%. And
0: I couldn't tell
1: who Snick was. I thought this guy Snick was Boy. I thought he was talking in third person. Like, yeah. And you know how Boy doesn't like this to happen. There probably should have been some mention by Maurice. Oh, we're going to go down, have the time of our lives, but let's avoid Snick and Boy. Why? Oh, oh, don't worry about them. And then we'll find out
0: later who Snick is. <laughs> I definitely got the sense that Snick and Boy were a late addition to this movie
1: or they were they had a bigger role in the film that was later cut. That Th- makes sense. There's something missing here. They
2: they needed somebody to be like the bad guy I guess because the monsters They were obnoxious, but they weren't bad. So I guess they had to put somebody in in charge. But yeah, maybe that was an editing thing. Maybe we should see if there was like an uncut version of Little Monsters with the the, the backstory. The director's (laughs) cut? The director's cut of Little Monsters.
0: I bet if there is such a director's cut, we would get more information about the parents' divorce. Yeah. There's some lines of dialogue there that are strange.
2: Not for children. Brian and Eric's parents are Glenn and Holly Stevenson. And I kind of hate myself for knowing that, but whatever. I, it is what it is. But when they're arguing, Glenn says, all you want from me is my paycheck. And her response is, that's not all I want. That's all I get, Mr. I've got a headache. All right. Maybe we didn't get that when we were 8, 9, 10 years old. But it kind of seems like a little bit of a sexual avoidance. Yeah. Um, and also, you kind of have to wonder about the whole point, right? They moved to a new house despite having marital problems? Like, why would you pick up and move your family to a new place if you're having issues? Maybe they thought it would be a fresh start with a new house and whatever, I'm not yeah. sure.
0: Um, I would go with that. Okay. And it was his dream to have a fixer-upper house and then he doesn't really fix up the house and she's doing all the work. So right. maybe he thought that he would love it, but then once they got there, he hated it. So I could kind of see that. But it is weird. And then, you know, they tell the kids that they're separating. And Brian's like, oh, you're getting a divorce. And he says, no, it's just a trial separation. And uh, Brian's like, oh, so you're doing the thing that people do before they get divorced. Great. And I was sort of expecting that at the end of the movie, it was going to be like, no, no, we changed our mind. We're not getting a divorce. And I'll give the movie credit that that doesn't happen. But it is just like a weird plot point that. I don't know. I don't really think it adds anything to the movie. Absolutely not. The fixer-upper house doesn't add
1: anything either. I kind of feel like they just found some, like, abandoned house to film this in. And we're (laughs) like, oh, let's just call it a fixer-upper. Because it's weird. Like, even the boys' bedrooms are, like, unpainted with, like, baseball cards thumbtacked to the wall as decorations. Even in 1989, a 10-year-old boy would know you do not thumbtack your baseball cards to the wall. How should you attach them to the wall? If you had to attach them to the wall, you put them in one of those clear plastic uh, sleeves, and you uh,
0: thumbtack the clear sleeve. Oh, okay.
2: What did you do with all your baseball cards, Al? Because you were such a athletic child.
0: Uh, first off, being athletic and <laughs> and collecting baseball cards have nothing to do with each other. But I was not athletic, and I did not collect baseball cards. Also, shut up. <laughs> Also, don't you turn 40? Shut up. You already
2: did. I will (laughs) never be as old as you. Valid point. I love when
0: you come on the show and we just have brother-sister squabbles. It's so fun. All right. Enough out of you. So, (laughs) another time when Brian's hanging out with the monsters, they go into a baby's room and they start scaring a baby. And there's like a lot of the monsters. It's like 10 or 12 of them gathered around this crib and they're like, screaming and they're making their heads do weird things and it's terrifying and again there's no point to any of this like in monsters inc they have to scare the kids because the kids scream and then screams like power their society so that's why they do it but in this movie they're just torturing this baby for no reason and brian says no you shouldn't do this he says it's cruel yeah and he's right it is cruel and he runs out of the room. In doing so, he opens the hallway door, which lets the light in and all the monsters turn into clothes. But then he like runs out of the house and it just so happens to be in his neighborhood, which is convenient because we see in the monster world that there are stairs that go everywhere and they have some throwaway line that distance and time don't work the same down here. So, you know, Cleveland is right over there and New York's over here and it's not that far in the monster world but they also travel to brian's hometown because they get the bully and stuff so brian didn't know that he could leave that house and be close to his own house he could have been like on the other side of the country that's for fair. All he knew
1: right. i was thinking the same thing like he's leaving by the wrong method he should go back in the monster world but right. speaking of being in the monster world brian has been spending a little too much time in the monster world And it turns out, like you mentioned before, that all the monsters are really children that have been trapped there at some point. And Brian, he gets out of the monster world just in time so that he won't be trapped. However, he retains some residual monster abilities. And that guy, Todd, uh, Toad, he shines a flashlight on Brian and his arm disappears.
0: Right. So Brian basically decides he's not going to go into monster world anymore. But Boy or Snick... Boy and Snick, whatever. It doesn't even matter. It, it does doesn't nothing matter. nothing for the movie. Right. They decide they want Brian, so they kidnap Eric. And Brian recruits his friends to help, and they go into the supply closet that Kirsten had the key for in the beginning of the movie because she's really into science and therefore has a key to the school's supply closet. Okay, Maybe sure. she's
2: like a helper or something. Who the hell knows?
0: Sure. So they get all of these lights, They aim them everywhere when they first get to Monster World, which you would think they really should save their battery power for when they confront Snick and Boy.
1: And also, most of the monsters are nice. Like, they go
0: down into Monster World and just start, like, killing everyone. Well, not really killing them, just hurting them. Just temporarily turning them into clothes. Okay, fine. But you're right. It is kind of cruel. Brian finally confronts Boy, and Boy says that He'll let Eric go. He'll let the friends go. He only wants Brian to stay. And Brian says no. And he's like, you better let my brother go. I'm going to count to 10. And meanwhile, boy is like literally throwing daggers at Eric's head. (laughs) And Brian's like very slowly counting to 10 while holding massive lights. Like aim the light at the bad guy. He's not giving you your brother. Right.
1: It is a weird uh, showdown. And finally, uh, he does exactly what you say. He does shine the light, and Boy's face kind of melts off, and, and they're, they're injured, but they're still unable to rescue
0: Eric here. Right. Boy and Snick, like, trap them in this room room with, like, teddy bears and stuff, and Maurice is in there, too, and they can't get out of the room because the door is locked. And then Kirsten's like, we'll generate electricity from the phone. And you're like, wait, What? And then there's, like, an old phone there, and she's smart, so she knows how to, like, create electricity. With the pencils, rubbing the pencils together. It's super old school. It's old school, and it's random. Where did this phone come from? And she's like, oh, we'll just use this phone to generate light. And Mm -hmm. you're like, wait, there's a phone? Why is there a phone? Those
1: kind of phones, the analog phones, have no power. Back in the 90s when you would have a couple different phones in your house, you'd have your cordless phone, but you'd have that old analog wired phone. During a blackout, that was the only phone that worked because it was plugged into the telephone line, and the telephone line actually powered the cord. There's no battery inside those phones, so Mm. I don't know what she was... uh, what she was using.
2: Well, but isn't the point to get more Reese to turn into clothes and they shove him under the door? Yes. Yeah, so they stuff him under the door. Isn't it so much fun to say stuff it. <laughs> shove it. I like shove. But either way they stuff him under the door and then he becomes, I guess, back to his like able-bodied monster self on the other side of the door he opens it up and he lets everybody out.
0: Right. And then they go back to the supply closet. They get more lights. They get the bully to join them too. For some reason. No reason. Which has no payoff. Right, exactly. And then they go back to the same room, but this time they have more lights, and they stand there and confront Boy and Snick, who just stand where they're standing, and they're like, you better let Eric go, and they say no, and then they turn on all the lights, and then they kind of kill Boy and kind of kill Snick, although he puts himself back together. But again... It's like the same exact thing. It happens twice. There's no confrontation. Like, Boy and Snick are literally just standing there doing nothing, and they know what the kids are going to do, that they're going to turn on all these lights. They stand there, allow it to happen, and then Boy dies. It's really anticlimactic.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Snick sort of comes back. It's sort of like a Terminator 2 kind of thing when the T-1000 is destroyed and the liquid nitrogen, but just slowly melts back together. It's actually, I think it's kind of similar to that. And Snick kind of reforms and he's going to do something to the boys. But then Maurice comes and sort of like a, I guess like a Looney Tunes-esque where you can just go off screen and get any equipment you want. He has like an (laughs) Acme
0: uh, flamethrower there. (laughs) Right, and then he incinerates Snick. And then when they're running through Monster World and they're, like, so happy about it, Maurice says, Ding Dong, the Snick is dead, which, you know, is a play on Ding Dong, the Witch is dead from The Wizard of Oz. But I really thought he said, Ding Dong, the Dick is dead, which would be inappropriate. Would you grow up? Enough well, with the dick jokes. It's no, a kid's movie. But it would have been completely at home in this kid's movie because of all the other shit they say. That's so, true.
2: Nice ass. Right?
0: I thought that that's what he was saying, but I watched it again with the captions, and he said, Ding dong, the Snick is dead. So Snick and
1: Boy are dead. They've rescued Eric, and they're going to go uh, back up to Brian's room, but they find they can't because it's now sunrise, and the access to Brian's room is now closed.
0: Right. Right. But because time and space work differently down there, they can go west to somewhere where the sun hasn't yet set. And I remember this part of the movie, that they that they run west and they try to find a place where the sun has not yet set. They end up in Malibu. There's like a homeless guy sleeping on a beach on like a bench or something. So that is a bed. So all the kids are able to get out there because the sun hasn't fully risen yet there. But once all the other kids are gone, Maurice and Brian have their big tearful goodbye.
2: Which I do not understand.
1: You know, there could very well be a reason why Brian can't come back, but... There's no explanation given about why he doesn't come. This is your Peter Pan moment of like, Brian, you know, this is a place for little kids and you'd be a big boy and something, something, something. I can never see you again. You know, E.T., your greatest friend that you're a kid, I'll never see you again. But it's just not explained at all.
2: E.T. was going back to whatever planet he was from. So that would maybe make a little bit more sense. Is this like... Brian's coming of age where it's like, okay, well, you know, you got us out of trouble and thank you for saving our lives. And it's almost like his monster bar mitzvah where he became a man and he doesn't need to, (laughs) you know, I mean, he's a man and he's not going back ever to see Maurice and he will be no part of the monster world. So, you know, they say their goodbye. And I feel like that was just so corny. It was just such like an 80s, almost like one of my favorites, Labyrinth. Like, should you need us? You know, like the big...
1: 80s trope of like the
2: goodbye. This was not clearly explained at all. But right. it would have
1: been fine to do it. I feel like it should have been something like in order to save Eric, he's going to have to give up the key to get back in here or right. something he's gonna have to do. It's, it's so obvious, but they don't say it at all. And if it's going to be older kids can't come back, why
0: doesn't Eric and Todd come back? It's missing something there. Yeah, and it is a big problem because by not explaining it, then you don't need to have this goodbye. And there's absolutely no reason why Maurice can't visit Brian, you know, the next night or two nights later or whatever. And so the whole goodbye scene, which is supposed to have some emotional punch, has none. And that is kind of a problem because that's basically where the movie ends. You know, there's a little button uh, at the end where they call their parents and like, hey, you need to pick us up. We're in Malibu. And the parents say, Malibu? What? And then the credits roll to Road to Nowhere by The Talking Heads. Which
2: is a dope song that's been in my head for the last like two weeks since I watched this movie. Yeah, it's an amazing song. And what the hell is it doing in this crappy movie? And we don't find out if the parents get divorced. There's absolutely no closure. It just kind of ends.
1: And the kids all, like, strip down and start running in the ocean. Did you notice that at the very last shot? Yeah. Wait, they strip down? They start throwing all their clothes, I mean, not naked, but, like, they strip down to, like, basically bathing suit-like clothes. And it's implied that they're probably going to just run into the water at 6 a.m. in Malibu. Weird. Because they're kids, and they're at the beach, I guess. You have to run in the ocean, because they're, you know, Shmendrix. Shmendrix? <laughs> that is a
2: Richard one. Hi, Dad. <laughs> I mean, but, like,
0: what are they going to do? I mean, like, they're on a beach. They don't have parents. They don't have money. It's not like, oh, they can just, like, rent a car and go to In-N-Out Burger while they wait for their parents to fly out. Like, what the hell are they going to do? Yeah, there's no there's no end to this
2: movie at all. It just kind of <laughs> ends. And, again, great song.
0: Yes. It was just surprising hearing that song. Like, I wouldn't have expected the Talking Heads to have licensed their music for this movie I guess David Byrne and the Talking Heads got a big paycheck, so good for them, I hope. But uh, it was strange. But now that we are at the end of the movie, and because you are our very special guest, Samantha Noah. Thanks. 40-year-old woman.
2: You got to stop with this. I
0: kind of feel like I can get it in another six or seven times. That's what she said. (laughs) Good one. Thanks. Do you think Little Monsters stands the test of time?
2: Yes, I think that the concept will never get old, right? Like, as long as there are children, there'll always be, like, the scare tales of, you know, something's living under the bed or there's something in the closet. So I think the concept is something that could be done over and over. There's certain things from this movie that just always... Made me laugh watching it as a kid. One of them was definitely, you put piss in my apple juice. And I remember it being, I thought it was a booger, but it's not. And it's really, I thought it was something good, but it's not. But I will still laugh at uh, the joke about the mom wearing an over-the-shoulder boulder holder. Because (laughs) it rhymes and because it's a boob joke. So, there you go. Well, is
0: it a boob joke or a bra joke?
2: Well, to a little kid, boobs go in bras, so there it is.
0: Very, very fair. Very fair. Good point.
2: I think there's pieces of it that just don't fit. Like, at the end of the movie, they end up calling their parents from a payphone. So obviously, that doesn't stand up. Um, Some of the things with the school. First of all, I will say that the bus driver was an angry black woman. I don't know that that would fly anymore. That was something I noticed. She was really angry at her kids. She was all pissed off about driving the bus. Then when they get to school and Ronnie the bully and Brian get into their fight... The way the principal manhandles Brian absolutely wouldn't fly. I mean, he had hands on him. He was smushing his face and grabbing him by the collar. And I don't think that would fly at all now because all the kids would have their cell phones out and be (laughs) recording it anyway. But at the end of the day, I think that the movie does stand the test of time. I wish it had a little bit more story to it, more of an ending, perhaps. We need closure about the parents. Are they getting divorced? Will we ever see Maurice again? But I think the overall concept does not change. And I think that, yeah, the plot does stand the test of time. There's just little things that wouldn't hold up anymore. But overall,
1: the movie, sure. All right, so we got one Noah down. Uh, that's one yes. Let's see if the Noahs have the same opinion on this film. Alan, Noah, what do you think of this film? Does Little Monster stand the test of time? No, it does not.
0: (laughs) I mean, come on, Sam. What are you, crazy? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Maybe maybe just turning 40 has uh, affected your brain or something. That is not what has affected my brain. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh Well, um, there are some dated references at one point. uh, I think Maurice says, you can stay up late and watch Letterman if you want. There's a couple little things like that. The problem with this movie is really the... Plot doesn't make any sense. Like the villain is, you know, shoehorned in there. The universe has zero logic to it. The emotional development, quote unquote, is non-existent. Brian kind of grows maybe because he decides he doesn't want to live in this kid's paradise. He wants to live in the real world But why? I mean, his parents are getting a divorce and he doesn't have any friends. Is it because he's made friends with Kirsten and the bully and he's decided that he's going to tough it out? Okay, but then show us that. They just don't show any of like those story beats. The comedy is kind of funny in some points, but it's not great. And like the tone of the movie is all over the place and it's okay to have a kids movie that's a little scary it's okay to have a movie that has stuff for children but also some jokes that the adults are going to get and the kids aren't going to get but this movie really doesn't do that balance well it does not toe that line and by having maurice say shit 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 all the time it's like wait wait who is this movie for it just doesn't work And no, it does not stand the test of time. But see,
2: I don't think you answered the question. I think you went off about what you don't like about it. I think the question is, does it stand the test of time? For me to say it does is just because it's a simple concept. So it's nothing that they couldn't remake now. They could totally remake this movie now with a bigger budget and better actors and maybe more of a plot. But at at its baseline, I think that while it might not be the best movie in the world at all... The plot does stand the test of time. Kids will always be scared about monsters under the bed. Everything you said is completely accurate. I get that. But in terms of it standing up, yeah, they could remake this now. And again, it would be better. I think at its core, the whole point of the movie does stand up. So you and I can fight. I'll meet you in the parking lot at 3 o'clock. I don't care.
0: Fine. I will be in the parking lot. Let's go. I'm not sure which parking lot. But the concept (laughs) of the movie could be done better today. But this movie, the 1989 Little Monsters, does not stand the test of time. Fair. Also, all the monsters in this movie are full size. Like maybe like one of them's a little short, but they're not Little Monsters. Like why the hell they call it Little Monsters?
2: Well, they wouldn't be able to now anyway because Lady Gaga's fans have commandeered that. Lady Gaga's <laughs> fans are the Little Monsters, so it would have to be a different name.
0: That is very, very true. Got him. James, you're our tiebreaker. Do you think Little Monsters stands the test of time?
1: It's fascinating what what Sam just said uh, after uh, you gave your review I was thinking that exact same thing because, well, uh, hold on one moment. (laughs) There's there's a couple things I agree with both and disagree with you guys on. Um, One thing, actually, uh, Sam, you said said they should have better actors. I think the casting is perfectly fine. I think Howie Mandel is actually very funny in this film, and I think uh, other people would not be as funny. Surprisingly, Ben Savage, I think he's a pretty good actor, actually. I, I, I liked him in this film. The problem uh, that I see with with what Al's saying, they're saying shit in this film. (laughs) I I agree with what Sam's saying, that you're having, you're finding problems with the film, but whether or not does the film stand up? And I was kind of torn because I was like, it's a silly kid's film. Are you asking a 40-year-old if this stands up? I mean, it's a tough question to ask. Is Little Monsters a movie that stands up, or is it a movie that I want to watch again? I will agree with Al, though. The problem with this film is that there's problems in it. The the, the (laughs) movie itself is missing stuff. I actually was surprised how much I kind of was charmed by this film. You know, here's the thing. If we show this to 10 10 10-year-olds, or let's let's make it a little lower, 10 8-year-olds, I'll bet you there'd be consensus that the the majority, not all of them, the majority of them like this film. And and I'm curious if you watched it with your kids, if they liked it, Al. Oh,
2: do you have kids, Al?
1: I do. As a father, I do. (laughs) But I'm going to say that the movie... The movie 1989's Little Monsters doesn't stand the test of time, unfortunately. But I also agree with you, Sam. It's very remakeable. Monsters, Inc. did take some of the concepts of it. And when a movie studio goes out of business, like, getting the rights to this film is probably, it, it probably belongs to, like, 30 different producers, and no one's ever going to pay the money to 30 people to make this again. But it's a cute film. It is. And I might have liked it at eight, and an eight-year-old might like it today. But no, for me, it does not stand up as a good film
0: today. Right. I did watch this movie with my daughter— My son was out with some friends. I think he would like it. My daughter really liked it. She's seven and three quarters and she wasn't scared. I thought that maybe she was going to be a little freaked out by boy uh, or, you know, some of the weird things that happened, but she wasn't, she didn't think it was scary at all. She laughed a couple times. She thought it was like super gross when he peed in the apple juice and, (laughs) you know, and she laughed at it. So I do think that some kids will like it today, but, um... Yeah, I still just think overall, everything you said, James, like there's just stuff that needs to be fixed for this movie to be a timeless classic.
2: It is not a timeless classic. We can all agree on that. It is definitely not.
1: But if we had a fourth uh, podcast person here, a third
0: member of your family, uh, your, your daughter,
1: I'll bet it would be a two to two vote. Yep.
0: It might be but she's in bed, so we're not going to ask her. I'm not waking her up just for that. I'll go do it. No, she'll be so cranky in the morning. But Sam, thank you for coming back on the show. Yay, thanks guys. It was great having you on for the fourth time. If you want to be a member of the Five Timer Club, which I know you do. Do, I want a sweatshirt. Well, then you'll have to come on for another movie. I think I know what your fifth movie's going to be, right? I think
2: you do too. We've discussed it.
0: Why don't you tell our listeners?
2: I think that uh, Courtney and I need to partner up with you guys and work on uh, The Devil Wears Prada.
0: I did see that movie with Courtney, I think, in the theater when it first came out and have seen it exactly zero times since. Uh, really? but Yeah. Listen, you guys are Noah's, so, you know, we'll make it happen. But thank you for coming on. It was great having you on, as always. But we should note that this will be Shh. your last podcast Shut appearance up. as Shut a up. person in your thirties, because you from are now so on, predictable. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. That's why a mom and dad's favorite. But even when you're 40, you're still my little sister. Yay,
2: here I am. Still kick the crap out of you, though.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, you probably could. <laughs> That's going to do it for us this week. Come back next week when we talk about Chariots of Fire. The 2020 Summer Olympics are going on, even though it's 2021. This movie is about what happened at the 1924 Olympics. It makes sense. It's a good theme. So stay tuned for that episode. As always, we want to hear from you. So don't forget to write to us at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go to our website, testoftimepod.com, Check out all the places you can listen to us on. Check out some of our merch. Find all of our back episodes. Find the back episodes that Sam was on. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.